guys, and welcome to the We Believe Golden State Warriors Basketball Podcast, the Sports Ethos presentation. I'm your host, Sam Hartlick. Hey, listeners, please take a moment to follow at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter, the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on Earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than the competition and provides more analysis, too. Again, that's at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter. Give them a follow now. Hey guys, today is Wednesday, April 20th. We got a very special episode today. Corey LeBeau back joining myself to recap the last two games in the first round matchup between the Golden State Warriors and the Denver Nuggets. Corey actually went to the game. So uh, game two, that is. So he'll be sharing his experiences live at Chase Center. And so without any further ado, let's get right into it. Hey, Sam. Hey, Corey. How you doing? I am doing all right, man. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Can't complain. Been a fun start to the postseason so far. Yeah, man. So you were... uh telling me you ended up being able to go to game two huh yes got to experience chase center in the playoffs timing worked out it was we can get into that it was pretty lit in there i was very impressed and pleased yeah let's uh let's kind of kick it off with that or first of all first before we do that had you been to chase center before yes i've been to chase center a couple of times Really impressed with, you know, the actual stadium and all of the amenities and everything like that. But, you know, I loved Oracle. So waiting to see if the crowd and the environment could live up to that. And this was honestly like it hasn't had a real test in which to do that for a while or ever. So it was fun to see it kind of pass it, at least in the early goings. Yeah. And then and then. uh first playoffs or official playoff games at chase um i mean we had the uh the play in game yeah it's kind of weird that those aren't considered the playoffs i get it because you're not actually in it but those are certainly like high stakes important games that aren't quite the regular season so but that's i guess it's good for the warriors that we're not counting them yeah how do you feel about the play in tournament so far, I, this is like year three now. Yeah, year three. Yeah, I, yeah, a second or third year. I I like it. You know, obviously it was a bummer. We in last year were tied with Memphis going into the final game of the season, so it really was a one game situation to either make the playoffs or miss the playoffs, and we won. And then we ended up losing the two play in games and not making the playoffs. So it kind of was a bummer then. But I like the idea of having teams the nine and 10 seed have a chance to get in uh especially like watching the pelicans take down the suns in game two it's like you get teams that peak at the at the right time they have more of an opportunity to actually showcase themselves yeah and i think it enables or incentivizes those fringe teams that would otherwise just be playing for a lottery position with like 10, 15 games left in the season that don't really have much to play for. Um, totally. Have, have something more to play for, like the Spurs or the Kings or this kind of fringe teams um, that historically have been more on the East than in the West. But then this year we kind of got a little reversal. And, you know, the Lakers, who did not even make the play-in by a few games – had they been in the East would have been like 10 games out from even making the play in. So yeah, interesting how the talent or at least the success or even maybe the better word, the strength of the conferences um, kind of ebbs and flows over the years. But for a while there, it was consistently the West being significantly better top down um, or from top to bottom than the East. Totally. It's, it's weird how things flip where the under 500 teams are now all of a sudden in the West, they look way better than they are. And in the East, what was it? The Hawks make the eighth seed after being in the nine, 10, and they're like over 500 and they're like a, you know, a pretty good team. Yeah. For a team yeah. that finished like fourth or fifth last year. Yeah. So 
Yeah, definitely goes to show. But I'm glad the Warriors didn't have to worry about it this time, both in the sense of they weren't in the play-in tournament, nor did they have to wait to see who was in the play-in tournament. True. Yeah, that is some criticism that I've seen on Twitter for the one for the one seed um or even the two seed as well you do kind of lose an advantage by not knowing your opponent um in that time off that you have not being able to prepare to know exactly who you're gonna be facing yeah yeah i've seen that too but still at the end of the day it's like it's still the one seed playing like a really not great team i feel like they should be fine. And if they're not fine, maybe that says more about them than the tournament. Hey man, Warriors fans know that anything's possible. So true. So true. <laughs> so true. But yeah, I mean, on paper, no, I don't, I'm not trying to say it has a significant impact, but you know, it's something to kind of consider. I don't know how you, how you work around that, but yeah. you finish with the best record in the league and you're twiddling your thumbs for a week, getting time off, which is good. But then at the same time, you don't necessarily get as much time to prepare against your opponent. And I mean, if you're the seventh or eighth seed, you know who you're facing if you come out of that play in tournament successfully. So totally, yeah, it, you know, it shouldn't tip the scales, but it is a little bit of something that's like, hey, you finish first or you finish second, but this end up does this ends up not really working out in your favor exactly yeah Yeah, anyways enough of all that let's uh yeah i want to hear more about your game two playoff chase experience the the home crowd the energy how did it compare to oracle had you been to playoff games at, at oracle before yeah yeah how did it compare it was I've been to several playoff games at Oracle's during this dynasty run, got all the the t-shirts from, from being in the stands and it was, it felt pretty similar. I don't know how it was on TV or how it feels in the lower section. One of the like magical things about Oracle was that it almost felt like the building was going to collapse on you. Like it got so loud just in the way I don't know, it was built or something. So I don't know if it resonated in the same way, but the fans that were there were really in tune to the game. They were following what was happening. They noticed the matchups. They noticed when the lineups were on the court. Like they could actually pay attention to the subtleties of the game and responded appropriately. And there were some great moments when, you know, when the Nuggets are having their a little breakdown on the court and then the crowd starts getting them into it and then Draymond comes out and is like, get even louder. And the whole arena was just shaking. It was like, that was a great example of, or the first time that I really thought, oh, wow, no, these Warriors might have like a true home court advantage as well, like they used to back in the Oracle days. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I do remember Rick Welts talking about Chase in saying that when they designed the stadium, um, acoustics was something that they were really focused on trying to create that same sound and environment and intensity and just overall loudness when the crowd gets really into it, like we had come to come to know at uh, Oracle. Yeah, totally. And it got loud, man. It got loud. There were people dancing. There were people shouting. They were into, like, the subtleties of the game was the Draymond versus Jokic, uh, you know, fight. And whether Looney's picking up his fouls. And then Jordan Poole and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. And, and the things that were happening. Andrew Wiggins grabbing the rebounds. Like, you could tell it wasn't just a regular basketball game that they were cheering and rooting for their team to win. They were in tune with what was happening happening which can feed the team even more you know so it was great the best part of course was towards the end it's getting to be a blowout they put e40 on the screen they're playing his music the whole crowd erupts and i was like okay we're still the warriors here like it's all still good as long as that happens the warriors are going to have some kind of home court advantage as long as e40 is there all is well <laughs> exactly as long as e40 is there and the fans respond to him that's awesome, man. What? I'm jealous. Um, 
I definitely went to my fair share of playoff games back in the We Believe days. Um, and I have gone to a few games at Chase. So we'll see. Obviously, it becomes much more challenging when you don't live in the Bay Area anymore, which neither <laughs> very you or much I do. So. But having your family there, that, that makes it easier. For sure. Yeah, totally. Totally. But yeah, this, I mean, we couldn't have asked for a better start to the playoffs, right? You know, it's so funny to think about, it was, you know, just a few weeks ago and it was like, when's Steph going to play? Is he going to be ready? Like, is Jordan Poole going to be able to keep it up in the playoffs? He started to tail off just a teensy bit towards the end of the season. Draymond looks better, but is he 100%? All of these questions and obviously caveats abound like it's the first two games they haven't played a road game yet it's against a not great team in the nuggets but they've passed all of the tests so far yeah all the concerns going up against what we all assume is you know going to be the regular season mvp and nikola Jokic. uh the warriors are too small they never got the the big that everybody wanted them to sign whether it was in the buyout market or whatever um, you know, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green have only played 11 minutes together in the season, you know, all, yeah. all those different kind of narratives. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. Just couldn't have gone off to a better start. You know, Warriors win game one, 123-107. Warriors win game two, 126 to 106. And we did not get Iguodala in the second game, who was out with some back spasms. So kind of kind of the same game honestly for all intent and purposes for the first two games at home nuggets you know looking really dialed in and really intense in the first quarter getting out to early leads um getting offensive rebounds you know we get good looks at threes but the shots don't fall nuggets kind of get some some putbacks and hurt us on the boards a little bit, get, get into like maybe five, six, seven, even 11, an 11 point lead for uh, game two, but the warriors just are so consistent. The entire 48 minutes you've got mm. Steph, Steph Curry, Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson all going bananas, shooting the three and from the field, attacking the rim, hitting their free throws, drawing fouls, um, Looney and Draymond just absolute brutes against Jokic. You got Gary Payton coming in to help and swatting <laughs> away Jokic. Um, and Denver's kind of been playing soft, man. I'm, I'm going to say it. Like I, I'm expecting a bounce back when the Warriors go on this road trip for the two games at Denver on uh, Thursday and, and Sunday. It's kind of weird we get three days in between. Um, but you see, or at least what I'm seeing is a Denver team that is trying to attack the quote unquote undersized warriors and the warriors just playing very tough, physical playoff style defense. And the nuggets are expecting a foul, you know, on every other possession. And it's almost like the warriors have channeled all of the, all of the years of being undersized and getting punished by bigger players and just playing big and tough for 48 minutes. Um, yeah. And how, you know, maybe some of them are, are foul calls that aren't getting called, but when you play the same way throughout the whole game, you make it really hard to officiate because the officials just kind of expect that, well, this is, this is the way that you're playing and they're going to decide how to call it. Um, and so you know, for Nikola Jokic, I think if he doesn't f- kind of figure this out and bounce pack and kind of have what we would kind of expect from him as like a MVP, regular season MVP type of game, like a 40 and 20 kind of game, or just a game where he really dominates, which I feel like he hasn't yet. Um, getting the two technical fouls and getting thrown out of game two, you know, really kind of... Um, characterized his struggles and his kind of frustrations uh, I would be surprised you know and I feel like it would kind of take away in my opinion even though we give out this this MVP right for the regular season it would in my in my view kind of take away a little bit from him his kind of superstar status if he isn't able to figure it out because that in my mind is what defines a superstar 
from just a really great player is um, in a, in a series, which is like a chess match, you do this and then you have to come back and counter. And so he's got enough tricks in his bag that he should be able to watch film and figure out, you know, Draymond and Looney are defending me like this double teams are coming like this and, and be able to have some counter moves to be able to get to the foul line more, to be able to get to his shots more, be able to get to the spots on the floor where he can score faster. And that that's not to say that I expect Denver to tie the series or, you know, I, I think it remains to be seen if we sweep them. I mean, at least through these first two games, it, it does seem like this, the series will be a sweep unless um, some guys from Denver really step up. But um, I do feel like it's been a little disappointing what we've seen from Jokic thus far. And that's a big credit to Draymond and Kevon Looney but I think you know better offense always beats good defense and so if we truly think that Nikola Jokic is this you know budding superstar MVP caliber regular season type player I do expect him to have a game where he single-handedly you know helps Denver win a game or at least helps Denver get close enough to potentially win a game uh, when the game's on the line. Yeah, I think that's totally right, Sam. I was feeling the same thing. I mean, Jokic has been unbelievable these last two years, last three years, really. I mean, he's so good. And there's been a lot of, you know, this was a pretty contentious MVP season because there was him, there's Joel Embiid, there's Giannis. Steph was the early season MVP. There's so many great players who would have a legitimate claim to it. And it looks like as of right now, he's getting punked. And what we saw, remember back in the bubble, they like broke down the Clippers and got to the conference finals specifically because Jokic was unstoppable against a smaller lineup. Like when their center was in, he just bulldozed and outplayed him. And when a small lineup in, he just rebounded. He like had a counter for everything. And, you know, the two things happening, one, How many times have we seen, oh, this is such a disadvantage for the Warriors. Draymond Green has to guard up. And of course, Draymond Green does incredibly well because he's one of the greatest defensive players ever. But also the team play on the defense is one thing because Jokic, he's, does feel unstoppable at times. I, at the beginning of the game yesterday, he picks two quick fouls up on Looney. The Nuggets jump out to an early lead. And I thought like everything that you were talking about, which to be fair, will probably still happen in Denver. I thought that was going to happen on in game two. Like, oh, big bounce back game from Jokic. He's going to be much more of a bully, really put the Warriors in a more compromised position. And, you know, Draymond plays him tough, but really the rest of the team has been so good at rebounding, at covering the other guys with the open shots and making the people who need to take the shots as the ones. So like we're giving Aaron Gordon open threes. We're giving the players we don't want to shoot uh, the open shots and it's worked out so far. And it really goes to one of the, not only have Draymond, Draymond's been just utterly sensational. Looney has been totally serviceable and is like playing, you know, playing his little heart out, even though it's a tough match for him, but the fours who are playing, mainly Andrew Wiggins. I got to give that guy props because he is playing like a true small ball four for honestly the first time all season, like really taking the physical challenge, boxing out Jokic, grabbing and tapping the open boards and just doing enough on offense. I've been really impressed with him on the defensive way, really on the defensive end when it comes to size and how he's playing up the position there. Yeah. Wiggins has been, Wiggins is really the key to this team. I think um, he is playing at both ends at a high level. He's hitting open shots when it's there, you know, free throws continue to be suspect, but that's fine. He's rebounding at a high level. Um, a, a real quick look at Andrew Wiggins over the, over the first two games, 14 and a half points on 55% on field goals, two and a half threes, seven rebounds, uh, 10 field goal attempts in 30 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, for, you know, basically like 15 and seven on two and a half threes. And he's not a guy that needs the ball in his hands. He's, you know, defending the best player, not named Nikola Jokic. He's rebounding, just doing everything that that's being asked of him for sure. Yeah. You know, he really does look like 
what he's what the Warriors imagined him to be, not the number two scorer, not the number three scorer, but a really talented, athletic guy in this lineup. And I like how you said how he's the key because I mean, let's be like in the, in this new fabled lineup, he's probably the fifth most important guy. But what's so special about the lineup and the reason we're talking about this five man rotation and this lineup that's happening is that it takes every single person to add something or else it's not that great of a lineup. So it's been really fun seeing the nicknames abound and the lineup I'm talking about, you know, is the starters, but with, um, well, I guess how do we even say it? Cause Steph's been on the bench, but it's really taking putting Draymond on the five and having Steph clay pool with Wiggins and Dre. And that's what swung each game. And they've all been so good in that role. It's really potent to see. Yeah. I think it will be interesting to see how much Steve Kerr continues to trot out that lineup. If Steve Kerr opts to eventually start with that lineup, it's clear that that offensive firepower for those guys, it's just, it's just too much for teams to handle. Um, on the flip side, though, with Wiggins and Draymond playing the four five, you know, we'll see how how those guys, you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you know, it, it is you got to win sixteen games to bring home the trophy, and so that is yeah. a lot of of work that you're asking Draymond and Wiggins to do to to play up a position for significant minutes. So totally. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm happy if Steph's happy coming off the bench. I mean, I'm happy with how the rotations have been shaping up. I think that it's, you know, you have Looney out there to start who can just commit some fouls and, and check some fools and just, you know, throw some bows and just be <laughs> physical and then check out. And then Draymond can, can play up a little bit and the Warriors can really get going um, with when Steph Curry comes in off the bench. So, but yeah, like Andrew Wiggins, this is what we envisioned for him, right? Like fourth option, but so important because he does everything on the floor and he doesn't need the ball in his hands and he's the best guard wing defender on the team. So you're not asking Clay Thompson or Steph Curry to defend, you know, whoever it's going to be in this series. It doesn't really matter because it's like Will Barton, Bones Highland and Monty Morris are the three double digit scores other than Jokic, um, which is kind of crazy. Bones Highland playing 17 minutes off the bench in those two games. And he's the tied for the third highest scorer for Denver. So it just really shows how Jokic Denver's really gotten not much of anything from anyone else. Um, Yeah. And I think Sam, it's such a good point to see like how they hold up over the rest of the playoffs in this series size is the big deal right like Jokic is such a dominating presence that this new lineup is effective because Draymond but also Wiggins are able to play big and grab rebounds and really make that part you know structurally sound when we get to the later rounds if we're playing a Memphis or a Phoenix or you know teams with much better perimeter attack then it's going to be oh can a lineup with Poole, Steph, and Clay survive defensively are they going to be able to hold their guys one-on-one or is Draymond going to have to solve everything and that's true I mean Memphis has size as well though I don't want to discount that uh Steven Adams although not known for his scoring can be a menace um on both ends of the floor Jaron Jackson Jr. has got a lot of length um and then even you know if if Minnesota somehow steals that series you obviously got Carl Anthony Towns um, and among a few other few other big guys, even for Phoenix, uh, DeAndre Ayton's got a lot of size that can be problematic. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. And that's like, and that's, it's less to say that other teams don't have size and more of that just Denver doesn't have anyone else who can even like puncture that yeah. defense in terms yeah, of like sure. guards or little guys who could pu- make make pool and Steph and Clay work for it and create mistakes so Jokic doesn't have to do everything. That's true. Right now it's just Chase Chase Bryn Forbes off the line, you know, force Monty Morris to hit some tough shots, you know, don't let Will Barton get easy looks in transition. It's not it's not a lot being asked of the other guys on the floor. Yeah, defensive totally. assignments beyond um, helping on Nikola Jokic. 
And they don't even have, you know, Denver's so depleted. They don't even have four shooters out there. They can't even throw out a lineup with like Jokic and four guys that pose a threat. Like there are still guys that the team is okay coming off of two double Jokic to throw an extra body in the passing lanes, which makes it, you know, it makes it easier. And we'll see, you know, Jokic is really good. Malone, I think is a pretty good coach. So I'm sure that the Denver games are going to be harder. Uh, but what was so interesting and I think what you're looking at too is that it's not even that Jokic is outmatched and losing. Like that's very clear to see. There's not much he can do about that, but it's less that they're getting outmatched and more that it's such an emphatic and emotional beatdown that they're like, oh, it, it, it's just a, a classic Warriors beatdown. There's no other way to put it. Yep. Where people don't know what to do. Teammates are getting frustrated at each other. The announcers are like, how do you even guard this? It's, it's pretty <laughs> wild. It's really like, a throwback to the original days. Yeah, you got Cousins get ejected in game one, which, you know, Cousins has a reputation similar to Draymond, so you got to know that, but it was kind of a quick double T on Cousins. And then you got Jokic in game two, just kind of frustration technicals. Um, because, yeah, you as Denver, you've got five to 10 minutes to start off the game where are you feeling good? You get out to a lead. You're like, all right. And then the Warriors just come at you so hard the whole game on both sides. On the defensive end, they're smothering you. You feel like every play is a foul. You can't get rebounds. You miss a shot, they come down, hit a three. You know, you miss another shot, they come down, hit a three. You mm-hmm. miss another shot, they come down, get an open layup. It's just so frustrating to play against that relentless attack that and, and you can see that these guys just don't have the same championship pedigree as the Warriors foundation. You know, they, a lot of these guys haven't been in these positions before. Cause yeah, they are getting upset. They are getting rattled. Um, they're getting mad at each other and, you know, sees, you know, series isn't over yet, but certainly if Denver doesn't make some significant strides, I mean, it's going to be over pretty quick. Cause the Warriors just look like, a much more complete team. And, and yeah, talent aside, um, you can tell that Denver's just a little bit playing um, over their head and, and not quite playing together to the same way. Not everyone's kind of locked in it on a string like the Warriors are right now, which is interesting because like you kind of mentioned at the start of the show, we did have a lot of questions about the Warriors coming into the postseason. You know, the Warriors prior to that five-game winning streak to close out the season were – not in a good place playing pretty questionable 500 or sub 500 ball with different guys missing Mm -hmm. at different times guys not really stepping up guys not really performing well nobody's really playing defense losing to like lackluster teams like the orlando magic just a lot of questions and a lot of concerns and you know they showed up game one locked in ready to go like they're the best team in the league and had yeah, the whole season. Absolutely. Totally. And you know what? I got to give so much credit to the MVP himself, Stephen Curry, because there were a lot of questions going into the playoffs. And towards the end, they stabilized just a little bit where the, the, the team looked good, even without Steph. Poole had really settled into the starting point guard role. Clay was comfortable playing off of him. Draymond was feeling better. They had a rhythm and a groove going. And Steph, as he's ramping up, is like, you know, what other superstar in the world would be okay with coming off the bench like this? And he's going to start. Like, there's no, he knows very well that he is going to start. There's no like question. There's no like, oh, is this a better role for him now? But as he's ramping up, as he's under this minutes restriction to avoid that conversation for later, let the Warriors get their sense of continuity. And then it's kind of fun to see sixth man Steph in the sense that he comes in like he's freaking Lou Williams. Like I'm going to make an impact and I'm going to score right away. And that leads to performances like game two. It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. um, And you know, you know that I love me some stats. Um, Steph Curry in 22 minutes per game in these two games, which is what he's playing. He is a team high plus 24 and a half when he's on the floor in 22 minutes. Um, So just throw out a few other stats here. Jordan Poole averaging 29 and a half points, shooting 65 and a half percent from the field, five made threes, five and a half assists, 
six free throw attempts in 32 minutes, and he's taking 14 and a half shots per game. Curry, 25 points, 56.7% from the field, four threes, four assists, five free throws in the 22 minutes, shooting, uh, attempting 15 shots per game. Clay Thompson, 20 points, 47% from the field, four made threes, 17 field goal attempts. And then Andrew Wiggins, we already talked about. So just, just even those percentages, when you've got Poole, Curry, Thompson, and Wiggins, you know, three of those guys shooting over 55% from the field and Clay shooting 47%. And then those four guys are combining for, you know, 15 plus threes per game in these two games, just absolute insanity trying to stop that, trying to construct a defense to stop that. Yeah. Um, It's, it's too much. And that's why it doesn't work to just be an adequate defense anymore. You need to be locked in and playing smart to be able to catch up with all of these guys. And it's just so much fun. There were, there was one stat I heard about game two where it's just like such I'm forgetting the number, but such a tremendous amount of open threes and open shots were created just because the Warriors have completely bamboozled Denver's defense. And, you know, Denver's defense just isn't that good straight up. So, again, tests will come if the Warriors make it out and continue going on. But it's hard to guard Steph Curry just in general. You have to throw your whole team at him, basically. That's why having Clay Thompson's gone has been so hard and having him back is so exciting. And then you had Jordan Poole playing like a mini Steph, running the same off ball actions, being able to handle the ball and having a bit more, you know, burst in a different kind of movement than Steph has too. It's, I mean, it just adds a whole other dimension. And there are plays where Steph just gets to chill in the corner, which is wild. It's just wild to think about that. And instead of being upset, like, why doesn't Steph have the ball? It's like he actually gets to rest and relax while Steph and Clay run a two-man action and still score. Right. Yeah, and Jordan Poole, um, now second in Warriors franchise history for most points in the first two playoff games, his first two playoff games behind Wilt Chamberlain. I was going to say, it's probably behind, everything's behind Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt had 62 and uh, Poole has uh, 59. Oh, that's pretty close, though. That's pretty yeah, close. They, he could have, yeah, he had 29 points in the last game. He had two or three shots there right before Kerr pulled him for garbage time to give him a chance to try and uh, eclipse it. But um, <laughs> yeah, just Jordan Poole, absolutely bonkers right now playing with so much confidence shooting at such high efficiency and not doing just one thing uh draymond Mm -hmm. talked about uh the other day how the game has really slowed down for jordan Poole. he is reading what the defense is giving giving him and he's making the right reads whether that is to go all the way to the rim to draw a foul to pull up for a three to step back to find an open teammate um to settle for a mid-range he is willing to take whatever shot is there. Uh, and he had one of the best teachers of all time in Steph Curry, teachers, examples, whatever. Um, just, and we're seeing the benefits of that now. He's not playing like James Harden s kind of like pound <laughs> the ball and go to your step, your patent and step back move every time. He's willing to take whatever's there um, and play within, within the team. I mean, pool for everything he's doing is averaging half a shot less than Curry in 10 more minutes per game and and pool has the ball in his hands a lot and is doing a lot so it just goes to show for the guy that's scoring the most points per game in these first two games um doesn't even have to take you know all the all the uh all the shots either he's willing to make the right plays he's willing to be to be uh an assist man you know second in assists on the team behind draymond so far in the playoffs so really great to see what he's doing uh, an incredible piece for this team, for this franchise, for the future of the Warriors. Uh, just goes to show what hard work can do um, combined with um, the right role models, coaching staff, put in the right opportunities. And, and also all of that time in the regular season that we were all like, why isn't Jordan Poole playing more? And why is Steve Kerr messing with the rotations and starting Moody and Damian Lee and bringing Poole off the bench? Well, he had 
incredibly high standards and expectations for Jordan Poole. Um, and we're seeing the benefit of all of that right now. Just not letting somebody play through their mistakes and be a bonehead. It's like, you want to play at a high level. This is what it's going to take. And I'm going to hold you to that standard. Um, and he got the message. Yeah. I don't think you can, I don't know how much you can critique Kerr for coaching and developing the player that we see right now. Right. And he had a whole first year to play a ton of minutes on like a classic, a classic rookie playing a ton of minutes on the worst team in the league or one of them. And, you know, he got that, he got a lot of development time there. He got a lot of time in the G league. He's learned how to play with the rest of the team. He defends better than he had been. And I do think it is, he reads the defense more. He makes such good passes. Like he's not forcing up shots. He's able to make these really Steph-esque magical plays where he's, you know, like some beautiful passes in the last game. And then he also knows how to be effective off the ball too and how to run around. And I think that's been one of the key things. It's not just if we're going to give the ball to Jordan Poole, it's going to, yeah, it's going to get heliocentric for a little bit and uh, shots going up or like a last minute, you know, created assist or something. It is really, he's moving all over the court, putting defenses in a variety of different pressures. And then now teams are geared in on that. And then you have Steph coming in. It's, I don't know how you're supposed to guard that. Yeah. And, um, you know, Jordan Poole in that first year did not look very good at all. Right. I mean, no, the guy that was just rushing stand. every single shot could not do really the, really the only thing that Jordan Poole proved is he was a good free throw shooter for like his first 18 months in the league. It's like, Oh, this guy is a really good free throw shooter, but everything else um, he shows flashes, but <laughs> a lot of mistakes and really raw and playing way too fast. Um, yeah. and everything slowed down for him. And I think the most important thing is for a team that is towing the line between developing all of these incredibly young and tantalizing assets combined with, um, you know, aging, aging Hall of Fame, you know, all time great players with championship pedigree is you put the ball in Jordan Poole's hands and you take a lot of pressure and load off Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and you allow them to play out the rest of their careers without having to take that extra um, bump and grind. I mean, totally. you already kind of see LeBron James, not to get too far off topic here, but LeBron James in this past year for the Lakers, you know, scoring you know, nearly 30 points a game, but his impact on defense is just completely vanished. And you saw the Lakers really struggle um, without him being able to play on both sides of the ball. And so having these other pieces kind of just naturally step in and, um, and take that pressure off of, off of those guys, it, I think that's just going to be huge, huge for the future of this team. Totally. And also, again, the humility of Steph allowing a team to be built around him and to trust in the organization and to say, give faith to Bob Myers and team being like, let us put together a good team for you as opposed. And, you know, that's worked out as opposed to maybe, you know, a big swing would have been trading for another superstar and not saying, you know, obviously Russell Westbrook to the Lakers is the worst possible scenario, like the worst possible timeline happened for them. But that is kind of the example of a big swing that, you know, it could work, it could not, rather than kind of trusting in a system in developing your own players and finding a culture and establishing an identity and finding guys to work along with that. It's true. And I got to, you know, Poole being such a bigger playmaker, because even like people, not to be egregious, but the last guy we had in this lineup with Steph and Draymond who could score individually like this was Kevin Durant, you know, and Poole's right. no, not like, I mean, let's, let's not be absurd here. That's Kevin freaking Durant, but KD didn't handle the ball like Jordan Poole's doing right now. Like he was more of like Harrison Barnes, but just super duper, 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 duper. And you can give it to him at the end of the possession as well and always get a good shot. This is something a little bit different in terms of how slippery this lineup is. And the fact that he is so good at running around like Steph, it's so dynamic and it creates this opportunity where game two, Clay, stop, Clay starts off 
like not hot. He is missing wide open shots. He's kind of forcing some mid rangers and going into fallaways. And it's like, they're there, it's in the flow, but he's missing it. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm with my fam, we're there and we're like, uh oh, is this going to be a bad clay game? And that earlier in the season, that would have hurt, especially as like Steph and Dre were taking their time out. Like, oh, it's taking so much of the offense. If it's a bad clay game, we're kind of out of luck here. And instead, we're able to stay afloat. He's able to be part of the team. And then when he does heat up in the third quarter and he goes on one of those just classic clay, he was missing everything. And then all of a sudden he's made like five shots in a row. It just feels like such an extra weight onto the other team. And that's where you see the emotions and the frustration set in. Because it's like, I thought we were okay on that front. And you're not. And the amount of offensive weapons that's happening right now, again, against a not great defense, is just so exciting to see. Yeah, 100%. Um, a few things I wanted to add there. Um you know, Kevin Durant, obviously one of the greatest scorers of all time. I think there's no question there. But Kevin Durant on the Warriors, I feel like when Durant was on the floor, we were no longer playing Kerr-style basketball. You're playing Durant-style basketball. And while mm-hmm. Durant is, you know, you know, skilled at every facet of the game on offense, including passing, he, he never really embraced the Warriors system on offense. And, yeah. you know, whereas Jordan Poole... He does. He plays very much give up the ball and get it back. Um, He's not worried about where his shots are and when they're going to come. You know, Durant had it in his head. I'm going to get a bucket and I'm not getting, I'm not giving up the ball. Like Durant never gave up the ball thinking I'm going to go relocate and get it back because he can score anywhere on the floor because of his size. Right. So that is Mm -hmm. one thing I just wanted to say. Um, Yeah. I think, you know, see, I'm looking back at that, that that first year, the 2017 year where they ended up bulldozing through the playoffs, 16 and one 67 wins. That was really like, that was the closest I think it got to. Yes. This is the warriors with Durant just fitting in going to basketball Academy and just like, Oh, let's try a new style, do something else. And then it was after they won the title, he wins finals MVP. And then, you know, everything else happens like, wait, why are we still doing this? You start hearing his, you know, sub disses against Kerr being like, why do we have to play with joy? And now we're not playing with it, you know, (laughs) you know, making comments, wondering why everything has to be so complicated. And right. then eventually just wants to go do like just pure hooping. With just Kyrie wants to go do it his thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. Buckets. For sure. That first year Durant was super locked in. I give him a lot of credit, but you could tell in that second year, he was a little distracted. Yeah. And Houston kind of took advantage of it too, where it was like, oh, you guys are just trying to get into, you know, your shot. So we're just going to switch everything and force Kevin Durant into like, you know, one-on-one matchups against PJ Tucker, which he wins, but not necessarily as effective as the classic splash brothers onslaught that, you know, the, the ruling on the, on the court right now is that it doesn't necessarily work in the playoffs because they have their infamous 2016 situation, but I'm really excited for this playoff run because they never got a chance to redeem themselves without Kevin Durant, you know, without right. their super team. And now we're like, okay, well, let's actually see if some, if teams are smart enough, strong enough and disciplined enough over a seven game series where, you know, our players aren't being suspended where Steph isn't hurt, although he is coming off of an injury now, but you know, I guess the full strength, let's see if actually, if this does work. Yeah, I actually, think so. I think this is the deepest um, team that Steve Kerr's had to work with. Uh, just with the number of options that he has, the number of guys who can hit a shot, um, you know, sure, that that 67 Warriors team with the first year with Durant, certainly, certainly up there. But I think your, your seven, eight, nine guys off the bench um, were guys kind of like, McKinney or Jordan Bell are kind of like these fringe players. And when your second unit is, is Gary Payton, the second Nemanja Bielitsa, Otto Porter, um, Iguada when he's healthy, you know, and then one of Thompson or Poole, it just, it, or even Steph Curry right now coming off the bench, it's just seamless. And they play with a different kind of, of intensity, but they also have the ability to score. Um, I've been really impressed with Nemanja Bielitsa, Otto Porter as well. Um, you know, Otto Porter has been pretty consistent 
you know, throughout the years, just been dealing with, you know, injury, injury management, um, you know, Nemanja Bielica, who a lot of people were just like, get this guy off the team who just looks so bad for most of the season. This is what we're seeing. Why, you know, Bob Myers signed him and, and what they expected him to be able to do. Um, and we're seeing it in a big way um, so far through these first two games against Denver. Yeah. And, let, uh, you know, I came on this podcast, Sam, I did, it was me and I came on and I was like, get this guy off the team. I was, I was <laughs> so sick of the Alita. And, you know, to his credit, he has upped his play. Draymond and Iguodala coming back have helped him so much. He's not as out of position and exposed on defense. And with another smart mover on the on that bench unit, that Iguodala, that bench unit of Iguodala, Bialica, Gary Payton, uh, then it's there's a there's the fourth guy, and then one of the starters. Forgetting who the the other bench guy is. Porter um, Jr. Otto Porter Jr. Yes, and Otto Porter. They are so they move so well. They're so savvy. There's always someone cutting. So instead of all of these like ISO turnovers that Bielitsa was having, where he's either dribbling it out of bounds or throwing it away, they're going to smart cuts and they're reading the plays. It's exciting. I'm still. It's pretty interesting that they Kerr gets to go strength in numbers and have a ten man rotation in the playoffs, which is pretty remarkable. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that starts getting cut down or like as we move through and we'll see like how many minutes Bielitsa has, but he's, I wonder if there's like some Serb on Serb elements here with Bielitsa playing Jokic. If we're getting some Balkan Wars uh, flares happening, maybe he's, he's stepping up to the challenge there. Yeah. And I mean, they are trying to stagger his minutes Bielitsa a little bit. So he's not on the floor too much when Jokic is on the floor. Cause I mean, let's be real Bielitsa, Bielitsa is not a defender, right? He never has been. No. So um, he, he, you know, he keeps his man in front and to the best of his ability and he uh, fights yeah. for the rebound. <laughs> and, and that's about what you expect from him on the defensive end. It's more about what he's do, able to do on offense. Uh, you know, seeing the floor kind of like a point forward playmaker. He's able to work out of the top of the key He's able to kick out to other guys. He's able to attack. So, you know, it, it's a lot to ask a four or a five on the other team close out to him because he can shoot the three or he's actually hitting his threes now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also be able to take the ball off the dribble and find the open man and be able to cut and know when to to get to an open space. He's actually been really effective cutting to the hoop. Um, I actually don't think he actually hasn't made – a three yet through the first two games. Yeah. He's actually uh, he's attempted three threes and has yet to make one, but he's still shooting um, 67% from the field because he's just getting layups. Um, And so just that, just that veteran ability to recognize where the openings are on the floor and just get to the open spot. Yeah. Just the willingness to, okay, I'm going to, I have a lane and I'm going to take it and I'm going to score. I mean, you're going to get to the line and something like that. That's something that the Warriors don't necessarily have, especially with their bigs, you know? Right. Uh, so it's A lot nice of guys would just it. kind of space out and be like, oh, well, I'll just sit in the corner and wait for a pass to shoot a three. Yeah, you could do that. Or you could, you could acknowledge that there's a lane there and cut because that's what this offense is predicated on a movement. And your cut, maybe even if you're not open, opens up something else for somebody else. Yeah. And I got to say, I love the belly Peyton like chemistry that's happening. Like get, give it to belly on the block. Peyton cuts, they're finding each other in great ways. And it's almost like belly gets to be a free safety a little bit and just do his job because Gary Peyton can be the big man when he's on the floor. (laughs) Yeah. Cool to watch a hundred percent. And on defense too, like they double, they double a lot when uh, Bielitz is defending Peyton Mm -hmm. comes over to double and gets the block. Right. Be at least yeah. it's like, don't foul, keep them in front helps coming and Porter jr. Or Peyton come down and, and they're, I mean, the warriors have a lot of length. I mean, Peyton's yeah, arms really are just ridiculously long. It is, it is fun to watch him play on both sides of the floor. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's Sam, what we're really talking about and what I feel like we can be rest assured at least as they go through the playoffs, no matter what happens is that, they've stepped it up a level for the playoff intensity. Like they are trying hard. They're playing up. They are making the right moves. They're locked in mentally and physically. And in a way that 
they were trying to figure out in the regular season. I think a lot of the sourness that, you know, first of all, they went on like a nosedive in the second half. Totally. They went from like the undisputed best team in the league to start the season to, you know, until that Utah win in the final like weeks of the season, it was like, are they going to get five or six seed here? And it was the idea of, okay, so they were like caught everyone by surprise in the beginning. Would teams figure it out? And then they, you know, Wiggins and Poole and people who haven't really been here before, would they wilt under pressure? And they have not. They have stepped it up in all of the ways. And I, they're not going to be an easy out for anybody. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, and you said this a little bit earlier, the, the key for me is the Warriors of old. You have a game where Clay Thompson comes out and maybe takes six, seven shots and he hits one or two of them, or maybe, you know, maybe he goes like, oh, for five or something like that. You'd expect the Warriors to be in a pretty big hole and you'd expect, you know, shoot, maybe we're going to lose this game. Right. And in the blink of an eye, it's like an 8 swing, a couple stops, a couple threes, because you have so many guys who can score and you can stomach, you know, one of pool curry thompson or wiggins having an off shooting night because there's so many other guys who can step up and 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 get the ball in the hoop and convert in different ways it's not just threes it's not just at the foul line it's not just jumpers it's attacking the rim it's in a variety of different ways um and so sure again let's you know put a caveat here denver isn't known for their defense their their playoff defense through these first two games has been pretty lackluster so they're definitely making the warriors look like pretty clear contenders for you know a a run to the finals if not at least the western conference finals so you know i would like to see how they play against Memphis, assuming they win and and, in Phoenix as well against a much more well-rounded team. But for me, that's the thing. You don't need Curry and Thompson to hit, you know, 10 threes each and have the game of their lives. Everyone's just playing in their lane and playing team ball and everything is just coming so easily. And everyone's playing so hard on defense, like put all your work in on the defensive end, the offense is going to come just work the ball around and get out and run and get good looks. And again, just the defensive versatility that they have and the fact that it holds up when they go small and that it's not like, okay, we're just going to run and gun you. It's that it's classic warriors. No, we're going to deflect. We're going to rebound. Then we're going to speed up. And it's just instantly back down your throat. It's exciting. I got, I mean, like looking at the playoffs, the warriors have to be, I'm not saying that they're the best team in the playoffs, but in terms of winners of the first round, they look the most dominant compared to how they came into the playoffs. I think that they're the clear, like, Oh, right. The rest of the league and all the nation, like the national news are like, Oh shoot. Yes. This team that was the best in the beginning of the season, they're here and they have everybody and pools even better. What's happening here. Yeah. Well, if you go back in the last decade, this team has the most playoff experience. Yeah, for sure. Without a doubt. I love that, Sam. I love that. I love that when they play Denver or they're going to play Memphis, or even if they play Phoenix in the conference finals, if all of those things happen, if they get clicking, the other team's going to be like, oh, shit. Like we've seen this before. It's like kind of like a legend from history coming back when you have like Draymond to Steph. And now that Clay's back, there's this aura of, you know, scary hours happening it's 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 really cool and you know i'm sure game three is going to be really tough and denver might even win but it's fun to bask in the reemergence of this dynast this dynastic team of a new we can't call it the death lineup because this is something new but this new special lineup and it has everyone else nostalgia for it. it's like oh great another five-man lineup that's destroying everybody and destroying <laughs> with such like pizzazz and theatrics and fireworks that it's it's making everyone into it in a way that other like great five-man lineups that have good net ratings don't quite inspire the same fascination yeah most definitely and also if in those later series, the Warriors, you know, face Memphis and drop a few games in Memphis or face Phoenix and do the same. They are veteran enough to not panic. 
they could go down 0-2 and still come back and win the series because they've been there before. They've been, you know, in face, they've faced elimination games, you know, sure. Maybe not pool and, and Wiggins, but you see that as a team, there is a readiness and a preparedness and an elevation of this is playoff basketball and we know what that's going to take and we're here and they've arrived. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's why I feel like this is the best, you know, 10 man warriors team that I've seen in the playoffs so far in there in the last decade um, compared to other groups. I just feel like this is a deeper team. They have more options for different scenarios. They have more scores than they've ever had. You know, you've got, You've got a true guard off the bench, whether it's Curry or Poole or however Steve Kerr wants to, to muck with that later. You've got Draymond Green playing at, playing at a Hall of Fame level. You've got Andrew Wiggins, the fourth option, who's all-star wigs. I mean, there's just – there's so much on this team that – and you got, you know, Devin Booker uh, injuring his hamstring, who now doesn't have a timetable to return – you know, health is a really big part of the postseason and success. You've got yeah. Memphis who finished second overall in the league, second in the West, but, um, you know, doesn't have a lot of postseason experience with a lot of young players. So I like my chances on the Warriors. I, th- I think that they've got their, their, you know, we're two games in, right? They've got two out of 16 wins needed to bring home the trophy. So it's definitely a little early to be counting your chickens, or your eggs in the basket, <laughs> counting your chickens. But yeah. um, I do feel really good about what I've seen so far. I think that all of the the nosedive in the regular season is really a thing of the past. And I do really feel like that they're just heating up. We're not even seeing full potential, um, full potential warriors here. So oh, totally. I mean, let's let's be really clear. I know we're wrapping up soon, but let's be really clear here. Stephen Curry is coming off the bench. Playing 22 minutes. Playing like 22 minutes. (laughs) Playing like half the the normal allotted time he'd be out there. And he's still the leading scorer and he's still doing incredible, crazy things. You know, that game one, there was a lot of rust, but game two, oh my gosh, he was just a man on a mission hitting crazy circus shots from all over the floor just doing all sorts of, of nonsense. Uh, I'd really like to see Steph, Steph Curry get that finals MVP, but if he doesn't, I'd also be just as happy to see like Jordan Poole get it or something. I like would, that. I mean, obviously I'd be happy. I would be like laughing and crying if Steph <laughs> didn't win another finals. And all of you will be like, Steph is getting carried again. Here's my theory, Sam. I think Steph is going to stay off, not, not an actual theory, but I bet he's going to stay on the bench for the whole playoffs until the finals, they go down. Oh, one. He's like, okay, time for me to enter the starting lineup. And then they end up winning. And that's how he gets his finals MVP. A la Iguodala. He's like, Oh, this is how you do it. You this come on. The the <laughs> you make the insertion in the starting lineup, the big change. I like that. That's yeah. funny. But it's great. And it's, you know, again, it's fun to see him play with force and, I don't think he's had a game quite like that where he just seemed in total command. He was making all of his threes. He was just an overwhelming incendiary presence. Like he's been much more of a table setter and making sure everything's good and being point guard with Draymond out and getting clay involved and letting the bench find their rhythm and playing around with his own rotation. Like he's had, like, he's been amazing. I think this is one of been one of, his most impressive seasons, honestly, even though his shooting numbers are down, but everything else he's had to do. But this was a game that we've been looking for the final like third of the season, just an in your face, Steph Curry game. The fact that he did it off the bench in 22 minutes is insane. And has me really excited for more. And it's just an overall enjoyable brand of basketball to watch, you know, starting with you know, Steve Kerr getting hired as the coach, getting Andre Iguodala to come off the bench, just the culture of this franchise team first, whether you're the greatest shooter of all time, Steph Curry, or you're Jordan Poole, you're Clay Thompson, or whoever you are being able to put the ego aside. And when your best players are able to do that, everyone else can buy in. And when everyone's locked in and playing basketball the right way, playing team ball on offense and on defense, it's not one guy that gets it done. It's the team. 
and it's it's so aesthetically pleasing to watch the the wide open dunks or the incredible threes or the blocks or the good defense or whatever whatever part of it that really that you really enjoy it's just the right brand of basketball and it's just hard to not fall in love with these guys and for me it's it's like a piece of art you know it really is watching that execution on both sides is an art form in and of itself for me so it is truly special I think we're blessed as as Warriors fans again to be kind of in this twilight era of just kind of undisputed greatness for some of the best players of all time um certainly of our of our generation and and for some time that we'll see yeah I I totally feel you Sam it's so nice especially as like all the super team comments kind of like clouded over this like beautiful brand of basketball that they've been playing a chance to kind of have this renaissance and play well and have some new players who are playing that style. I think it's why everyone's so in love with this five man lineup and finding a name for it is because everyone gets involved. It's not just that this lineup unlocks Steph or unlocks Draymond or unlocks pool. And thus they turn into like, unstoppable forces it's that everyone gets involved you don't know where it's coming from and it's true team play it's really cool it's really would any would any of the other top 10 players on their respective teams be willing to come off the bench Jokic, Embiid, Harden, Durant, Tatum, Donovan Mitchell you you know go up and down the teams on every leagues and look at star players no yeah well I mean Kyrie's Kyrie's willing to come off, like, not play for half the season, so that's kind of similar <laughs> in terms okay. of minutes. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, you know, it, it takes something, the right kind of player or the right kind of person. It's not even, forget player, it's character. It's the type of person that you are to be willing to make those type of sacrifices to, because your goals are to win. You don't care how, you don't care who, doesn't matter. It's just the goal to get the job done in whatever way it's going to take. Absolutely. I mean, everything else aside, he's going to go down as one of the greatest teammates, like Mount Rushmore of teammates, star teammates that basketball has ever seen. And I'm glad that it's going to be more than just, Oh, he was willing to let Kevin Durant come in. Like it's so much more than just being willing to be, I mean, quote unquote, second fiddle to another star. It's, everything else you do to make the team better from playing more point guard to changing around your minutes to coming off the bench, because you know, you're going to be more effective as you ramp up your minutes. And also you're not throwing off the rhythm and you're allowing other teams. It's like, even more than that, it's like allowing the, the, the bullseye to come off of pool and Kerr too. They don't have to worry about that. Like he like settles so many things. And I mean, I can't, I can't say enough about him. I'm going to, I'm going to stop this podcast. I'm going to light my Steph Curry votive candle at that point, really. (laughs) Yeah. I can already kind of see like three, four years down the line as we're in like the tail ends of the, of, of his career. You already see the framework of this guy can come off the bench, play 20 to 25 minutes and just be an absolute stud and still have an incredible impact in that kind of role. Yeah, totally. I mean, He's, it would be so cool to see him age gracefully in this team and to just be a legend even more so. And I don't know if he'll ever come off the, I, I, he'll probably, like, I would imagine he would still start, but just play less and less minutes and maybe not close games necessarily. But he, I mean, kind of like almost, I mean, he's younger than Chris Paul. He, we've, we've got more stuff to see. We've got plenty. We got plenty more stuff to see. I'm going to say at least five years. Yeah, I think he's going to age really well. All right, man. Well, I think we're uh, we're at a pretty good pretty good place here. You got anything else that you uh, you want to hit on? You know, going to go to the uh, the Mile High City in Denver. Yeah, you know, I'm just going to be nothing else to hit on. We've been gushing over the Warriors. I hope they don't make us look really stupid with, uh, (laughs) you know, a flat faced, you know, turn in Denver. I think the one thing to look out for, Jokic is going to have a game where he's absolutely unstoppable. And I have a feeling the whistles are going to be a little bit less friendly in Denver. So it'll be interesting to see how the Warriors and how maybe like, you know, this new lineup 
how it handles itself under actual pressure rather than putting the game away in the second quarter. I'm yeah, and I'm going to knock on wood here because we did, I don't think it was the last show that we did, but maybe two shows ago, I think the Warriors were almost like 9-0 streak without Draymond Green <laughs> and we're gushing about how they're the best team in the league. And then from there, they just took an absolute nosedive and it was like, like oh man, we, we jinxed them hard. Sam, I think the last time we podcasted, we were talking about how Draymond's finally back. They're going to look great. And the very next game was the Boston game where Steph got hurt. I was like, yeah. oh my goodness. <laughs> so yeah, knock on all the wood. I think we're, we're, we're all groovy, but it'll be, don't want anything to happen. Do you have any other plans to go to any more playoff games? Not at the moment, not at the mo- moment. We'll, we'll take it round by round and we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's cool, man. They actually, the Warriors put out um, an NFT that got you cool prizes for each round that the Warriors win. Um, yeah. It was on a FTX. I was looking at um, buying it. It was $500 to mint, but you had to be like there at the right time to get it. Um, didn't end up happening for me, but cool stuff that they uh, that they do these days. Steph Curry had a had a NFT for his three point record as well. So I think that they'll have more stuff like that in the future for people for those people listeners out there who are into cryptocurrency and NFTs and all of that. Um, <laughs> the Warriors are at the forefront of sports franchises, and um, I actually saw that there's a there's, there's a Golden State Warriors entertainment group now i know i know um, it's like when after in the off season we can continue potting about all the other warriors activities since they're right. a multimedia empire now and right. it's uh real funny to see as long as they keep the basketball team first and foremost exactly all I, all I care about awesome all right man thanks for coming on a pleasure as always thank you sam it was a lot of fun. Go Dubs. Excited to see them. Hopefully they make quick work of Denver and then seeing either Memphis or Minnesota, either one will be a really fun series. So until then. For sure, man. You take care. You have a good one. All right. You too, Sam. Bye-bye. Hey, quickly before we sign off, we also want to remind you all to use coupon code HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com for 20% off your order and free shipping. And also to check out our pals at mybookie.ag. Use code HoopBall on the third page of sign up to unlock deposit match bonuses there as well. Once again, this has been a We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. Please give me a follow on Twitter if you haven't already at SD Orlick. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you.